and the pages of my dad's Bible, which he read every day, early in the morning, kept close to him all the time. His favorite Bible that he had has well-worn edges, and I could tell which pages he read the most, by which edges were worn the most, were yellowed by the oils of skin and time, turning them back and forth. And there were no more well-worn edges or yellowed edges than on the page of Matthew chapter 6. The Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter, Jesus gives a beautiful sermon and it really carries perhaps the greatest weight of, of spiritual power against worry, fear, and anxiety that the world has ever known. And in this day when it seems like people are flooded with anxiety, all over the place people are dealing with anxiety in all kinds of ways, and yet before us in the scriptures, Jesus Christ gives us the cure, the remedy for all anxiety, all fear, and all worry. Today I want to take you on a journey through Matthew chapter 6, my dad's favorite portion of scripture. And, and I want to just share with you perhaps maybe a secret in my own life. Uh, I've got to tell you, uh, anxiety and fear has always been far from my heart. And, and that's of no fault of my own. I don't believe I've achieved or attained some sort of special uh, grace to be able to sidestep fear and anxiety and whatnot. I faced them both, but I, I feel like <clears throat> imparted from my dad was a grace upon my life that I f didn't fully realize until moments when anxiety or fear or worry tries to creep up and sink its teeth into my soul. And immediately, the thing that comes to mind is Matthew chapter 6, as dad would sit down in the midst of times that probably would have made other people pull their hair out, dad just sat down, opened up the scripture and began to read. He would say, well, in the reading, there's no cure in the reading. Well, there's a shift in perspective. And in the shift in perspective, you often find that the solution to the anxiety or the solution to the source of the anxiety which is much closer than you would have ever thought. But without that shift in perspective, the answer can be right in front of your face and you can't even see to take hold of it. Dad understood the secret of the shift in perspective and what Jesus was trying to bring people to in that day was that shift in perspective. It's often said, well, people should, should just go out and like help people. If you want to love people, then do something because love looks like something. Don't just talk. I understand, and that's true, and Jesus did things. He, he healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. But all of those things, all of those solutions came after there was a moment of a release of his word. And in the receiving of the word, we are postured to do the things that Jesus told us to do. But we can't go out and do the things he told us to do if we're not postured to receive the word. There's teaching and then there's doing. And a lot of people are really interested in just going out and getting things done. Just give me the solution. Give me this. But Jesus is interested in through the foolishness of teaching, or as the Bible calls it, through the foolishness of preaching, to bring through word an understanding that can actually unlock us to be able to go out and do as unto the Lord. And so today, I want to give you a shift in perspective. Matthew chapter 6, get your Bibles. We're going to go there together and take a journey through God's remedy for anxiety, for fear, 
for worry. Welcome to the broadcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. My name is Bill Vanderbush. I'll be right back. A deadly pandemic, raging record-breaking fires and hurricanes, the reality of racism and culture clashes. 2020 was a year that brought people to their knees and even shook the faith of many. Are we about to find ourselves in the final battle? Check out Restoring Revelation. It's a 10-part audio series that Bill recorded during the pandemic of 2020. In times of uncertainty, people want answers, and the book of Revelation becomes popular once again. But Revelation is a book of hope and joy, unveiling the eternal victory of Christ in you, the hope of glory. This series will enlighten, educate, entertain, and empower you to live and accomplish your assignment on this earth. So download all 10 hours of Restoring Revelation at BillVanderbush.com. We're going to start today in Matthew chapter 6, and I want to start by reading verse 24. The story really picks up, and the, the message really picks up in verse 25, but I want to begin with verse 24. Jesus says, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, by the way, we would say it's wealth, but it was actually, it was a god. It was a, it was a deity or a false god that was connected to wealth. In other words, it was an object of people's worship. It's when they took wealth and they made it an object of worship. And you know you've made wealth an object of worship when you've given something the power to either give or steal your joy. If the absence of a thing can take away your joy or the presence of the thing can give the joy, then perhaps you've given too much power to that particular thing. The Bible tells us in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy, right? There's nothing wrong with money. It's simply a tool, and it's not money that is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. In other words, when our heart is connected to it. Now, it is important that we understand that money has a place in the kingdom of God. It's often said that we are blessed to be a blessing. Well, that means you first got to be blessed, And uh, nobody was able to actually reach or bless or touch the nations simply by being poor. Having money is not necessarily uh, a a bad thing. It's when money has you. That's when it becomes a problem. And so uh, what we hold loosely to in our hands becomes a tool for the kingdom of God. So that as God begins to minister to us to uh, bless others, to do things that that only really uh, having wealth can do in order to solve some of the problems or some of the issues of the world or bring uh, to bring some some relief or blessing into somebody else's life. When we use money as that kind of a tool in service to the kingdom of God, it becomes an incredible, incredible asset. So, uh, by the way, if, if, you're, if you're really interested in kingdom finance, a dear friend of mine by the name of Jim Baker, uh, not, not the televangelist Jim Baker, different Jim Baker, he's a pastor of a church in Columbus, Ohio called Zion Fellowship, has the best teaching on kingdom finance I've ever heard, and it's called Wealth with God, and I promise you it'll be well, well worth your time. Uh, Jim's a very dear friend, and he and I have been friends and followed each other's uh, teaching and ministries for more than a decade, and I really, really... I uh, highly encourage you to check his check his material out. It'll be a blessing to you. He has a ton of material in there, by the way, on breaking free from the spirit of mammon. And uh, there's so many testimonies of people who have actually uh, stepped into tremendous levels of blessing. And I would say to Tracy, in our own life, just spending time with Jim and Mary and letting their perspective shift our perspective 
toward uh, the realm of finance in the kingdom of God has been incredibly, incredibly beneficial. Okay, let's go on. Here we go. Verse 25. And this is the part where my dad always liked to pick up and read right here. It says, Therefore I say to you, and this is Jesus speaking, Take no thought for your life, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or yet for your body what you shall put on? Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap or gather into their barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? And which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow, or tomorrow, shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now one of the things my dad always used to like to say is this, how do you take a thought? The Bible says take no thought. What do you mean, how do you take a thought? Well, the key is actually in the verse. If you notice in Verse uh, 30, 31 says, Take therefore no thought saying. How do you take a thought? You say it. In other words, what begins in the heart and is processed in the mind has to be let out through the mouth in order to really have any lasting impact at all. Dad would say like this, A thought left unsaid is as good as dead. And, and that's kind of true. If you want to prove this fact, you can think about loving your spouse all day long. But if you never actually say it, do they really know it? Uh, you let out the abundance of your heart by what your mouth speaks. I've spoken a lot about this in recent months and the power of our declaration, the power of our words. Jesus is saying here things about, I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. He is, through his words, shifting our perspective. He's letting his word begin to shape our lives like a potter shapes the clay. And so we find ourselves entertaining certain thoughts. You can't maybe choose the thoughts that uh, uh, come into your head or, or bombard your mind any more that you can choose the billboards that you see going down the road. But you can choose what you dwell on and entertain. In other words, what you spend time on. You get to choose what you think about. And the more you dwell upon something, the more it, it begins to develop language within your heart. And out of the abundance of the heart that is medita uh, meditated upon the thoughts of the mind, you begin to start speaking or releasing declaration. Now, this becomes a very powerful reality. But when Jesus says, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what will we be clothed with? What is he saying? He's saying, listen, don't give these these rudimentary basic things, such an anchor in your mind that they actually start to take root in your heart to where you give language to them. You start speaking out the, the, uh, uh, the, these, these thoughts that bring us anxiety. And I would say this is probably one of the biggest keys to anxiety in our life. And that is when we start to give so much weight 
to certain thoughts that we feel like now we've got to give language to it. And you say, Bill, does that mean we should just ignore these things? No, it means that we choose to dwell on certain things in our mind. We choose what we think about. It's almost like all these thoughts are passing before you. But if you look at this one thought and you think, okay, if I give more time to this particular thought, if I give, if I give time to this thought, it will produce something in my heart that will perhaps produce doubt, fear, worry, anxiety, even unbelief. And if I give enough time to it, then I might actually start to speak out what I've been dwelling on. When uh, I sit down with people and they begin to start speaking out thoughts that are anchored in fear or doubt or unbelief, this, this is what I, I typically think. How, how have, you, have you given so much time and attention to that when there's so many other things to think about? So many other things to focus on. So often we choose to give the focus of our mind to things that are not going to be productive to our spirit, our soul, or our body. Romans 12 tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, but it gives us an alternative. It says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, there is an option to be conformed to the world. Confirmation to the world or being molded to the things of the world happens when we give our mind to the things of the world. And and listen, you can think about things going on in the world, but you don't have to agree with them. It has everything to do with alignment. I can listen to somebody talk and I can reject the words that come out of their mouth, just like you could listen to the word of the Lord and as many people did with Jesus, reject what he said. To reject what is being said is to not walk in alignment with what you have just heard or seen, all right? So it's it's not the issue of, of, well, I just need to be ignorant of everything that's going on in the world. It's the posture of your heart toward receiving or not receiving what is being spoken. If you listen to negative news or uh, things like that, to stay informed, that's one thing. But when you let that that negativity and that death begin to shift the posture of your heart to where you begin to align with what you are hearing, then you might see that there's a conforming to the world that happens inside of you. When your heart is tuned to listen to the voice of the Lord, spending time with him in prayer, spending time in the study of the word, and your heart aligns to the word of the Lord, you find yourself being transformed the renewing of the mind is a transformation. The conforming to the world is a, it's like kneading dough. It's like letting the hands of something else get into your system and reshape your thought processes. All right, now I've said this many times, whatever has your attention has your affection. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 said, set your mind on things above. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. So give your attention to the things of God and you'll find yourself in a posture of transformation, right? If you give your attention to the things of the world to stay informed, that puts you at one level of risk. But make sure that the posture of your heart doesn't come into alignment with what you've heard or you find yourself being conformed to the world. You know, I think it's possible to actually listen, you know, as I say, to the news and to ask the Lord, say, Lord, give me ears of discernment, give me the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to be able to discern what is truth 
versus what is being slanted in such a way as to try to draw me into conforming my perspective. Now, when you do that, you might be surprised that the Lord will teach those moments uh, or use those moments to teach you, to teach you and train you a little bit about how to discern the word of the Lord in the midst of a, a whole crop of lies. And you might actually start to not just not just uh, not conform yourself to what is being spoken, but you might actually be able to look past what is being spoken to see the alignment of another person's heart and ask the Lord, you know, like let's say for the person who is giving the news, all right? Now, they can speak a lie to you. Like you can listen to somebody that's on TV saying something, right? They can speak a lie, and then you can go, wow, that is totally contrary to the mind, the heart, the values of the kingdom of God or, or the things of God. And, and you could sit there and go, oh my goodness, I completely, totally reject that. Rejecting the thought and rejecting the word is one thing. Rejecting the person is another. We can take a look at the thought and the word, and coming from that person, we can go, okay, I am going to acknowledge this thought is an enemy of God. And then you can start to assign the identity of enemy to the person that spoke in the thought. And this is really important. A thought or a word can be an enemy of the, of the values of the things of God. But God loves that person even if they've spoken the lie. And so it's one thing to take and, and assign uh, uh, the category of enemy to a particular thought or particular system. For the judgment of God, it, as judgment is shown in the scripture, is for systems, right? Now, if people attach themselves to the, those systems, they'll face the same judgment coming upon those systems. But that doesn't mean that God is against those people, right? Uh, Jesus said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for those who despitefully use you. When I sit and I watch the news and I listen to a news anchor who is essentially the mouthpiece for an entire system, the one thing I have to be aware of is even if the words that those people are speaking are contrary to the values of heaven, God's love in his heart is for those people, right? So can I prophetically uh, speak into that person's life, right? If I if I say, well, God, give me a heart for that person. Give me a heart to pray for that person. Listen, they can be a, a preacher, a politician, the president of the United States, the greatest prophet on earth, doesn't matter, whoever they are. If they're speaking in that moment contrary to the values of God, don't suddenly let a hatred arise in your heart for that person to label them an enemy. Instead, let the compassion of the Holy Spirit begin to bring clarity of who God has always known that person to be. And ask the Lord to give you a prophetic word or how to pray for that person that they would come to the truth of the realization of who they are. Now, you see a person in tremendous influence who is now partnered with a system that is releasing misinformation or lies that bring people in partnership with fear, because that's what lies have a tendency to do, promote anxiety, right? <clears throat> but you see that person say, saying those things, what do you do? You say, God, give me a prophetic insight into who that person is from your perspective, and begin to pray in agreement with heaven's perspective over them that God would send into their life or orchestrate their day to be consistently encountering uh, people who have both access and influence to them who can speak the word of the Lord over their life. I'm a firm believer that every single human being God has placed in their sphere of influence somebody who can speak the truth of the Father's heart over their life. And if we will pray that there will be an open door for those words to be spoken, I believe a couple of things will happen. Obstacles to those interactions will be moved out of the way, 
and clarity and boldness will come to that person's heart that has that access and influence. Not only that, but I believe if we will posture ourselves to pray in this way, God will perhaps begin to give you both access and influence into the lives of people who make the decisions that affect millions of others. Over the course of years, I can tell you, one of the most interesting things that God has done for Tracy and I, since we started being purposeful about releasing the grace of the Lord over people and not seeing people as an enemy, is that God has brought us into a place of having both access and influence into the lives of some really remarkable people, um, from heads of state to some of the most uh, uh, influential people in Hollywood to some of the most uh, influential writers on earth. Uh, and and in the midst of, of these moments, uh, it's amazing how clarity comes and and we have the ability to release words of the Lord in certain circumstances or situations. And then there are times where I can actually tell that there's a hindrance. There's a hindrance maybe in a couple of areas. There's a hindrance in that uh, in that space of access and influence because suddenly there's not enough time for us to have the kind of interaction that's necessary to, 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 uh, to give a word from the Lord in a way where it can be received and meditated upon. And then there's moments where sometimes I can actually feel like a hindrance in in the spirit. In other words, there's a spiritual hindrance to this thing, and you can feel that there's something going on that's making it really difficult to find uh, that clarity that could communicate those words of spirit and life. So those are two things that I pray for in those moments of access and influence, is for there to be no hindrance and for there to be clarity. Uh, Because that's what you want to do. You want to bring the word of the Lord into somebody's life so there can be a transformation and renewing of the mind. It eliminates the anxiety, it eliminates the fear, it eliminates the worry. And and listen, to exercise these things, I think most often begins within our family. I also think that that's one of the hardest uh, places to minister, is to the people that are closest to you, the people you care about the most. It seems like uh, there's no end of the hindrances that can happen when you want to minister to the people that you care about the most. And so sometimes we have to fight for those moments of time where you can speak the word of the Lord over their life. And then when you get those moments of time, suddenly the word just goes out of your head, and you're like, oh my goodness, what happened? I believe that there is a war against those moments of clarity and communication. I think there's a war in the spirit for those moments of of time where we have the chance to actually speak into somebody else's life or, or allow somebody to speak into our life. And so uh, begin to steward your heart posture toward people you don't even know on the screen, on the radio, whatever. Uh, when you're listening and watching you know, video clips here and there or whatever, people send you stuff. And what do you think about what this person said? And you can suddenly find your heart being stirred up in anger towards somebody else over what they've said. And then what ends up happening? They become the object of conversation. And this is why gossip is so dangerous. Most of the time when we gossip, we are dwelling on the sins and failures of somebody else's past without having a clarity over their present. We can see what they did two, three, four years ago, but we have perhaps, for righteous reasons, severed relationship with that person, so we don't know where they are in the moment that we're standing in. So in our gossip, we're actually agreeing with an identity that God may be working on, shifting and changing. And even if 
even if they haven't changed, there still has to be a posture in our heart that is future focused, not present past focused, but present future focused, so that we always carry the hope of the gospel of the saving, transforming power and redeeming power of Jesus Christ into our perspective, into our future, into our conversations. With that reality, listen, gossip about somebody's future. What is what is the destiny of God over that person's life? Listen, I'll tell you this. I'll just give you permission all day long to gossip about the future of a person in accordance with the destiny of God over their life. There, try that. Give that a shot. That way you say, well, I, I, I love gossip. I just I, I can't stop talking about people and their failures. Well, okay, why don't, why don't you talk about their future then? Well, they haven't failed yet. Okay, why don't you talk about what God says about what's possible to come? What is the intention of heaven over that person? There, gossip about that all day long. You know what I'm saying, all right? I'm not saying gossip is good. But if you got to talk about a person, talk about the destiny of God over their life. Okay, so I want you to just go with me to this one verse for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 6, it says, <clears throat> take no thought saying, all right? And so here's some of the things that we could say. And 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 it's going to give you a line at the end of this where Jesus is going to say something that's really important. This is one of the things we shouldn't say. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? How are we going to be clothed? In other words, being concerned, consistently concerned with the needs of our body, our costume, costume-based identity and needs. It says, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now, what is the Gentiles here? It means people who are unbelievers. They have no value for the kingdom of God. They have no interest in the things of God. They're completely costume-based and self-focused and self-absorbed. They're, they're in this life to get everything out of it for themselves, the most that they possibly can. And this, this is the thing. He says, this is the limit to the obsession that that people who don't have an anchor in heaven, who don't have a relationship with God, this is the limit to their obsession. In other words, they're going to try to find all the joy, the peace, everything they can within these costume-based issues of what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to put on, everything having to do with the flesh. Jesus says, after all these things, the heathens seek, the Gentiles seek. He says, look, your heavenly are these things bad? No. It says your heavenly father knows you have need of these things. And this is why we give our mind to them, because they seem like a need to us. And anything that seems like a need can become an obsession. Okay? And the Bible says here your heavenly father knows you have need of these things. In other words, let your heavenly father obsess about these things. He's going to deal with this. It says, this is your posture. Here's your perspective, and this is the cure for anxiety. You ready? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All right? Now, to seek something first is to prioritize it above everything else always, all the time. And that means even when other things arise that, that seem to want to take precedence or our attention, we always stay anchored in the kingdom, and it informs our thought process. When I go to the store, my heart is anchored in the kingdom. My dad used to walk around the mall, and he would walk out worshiping. Why? Because he'd say, I just get so blessed looking at all the junk I don't need. What was he anchored in? The kingdom of God. What, what did that produce in him? An awareness of joy. And everything around him began to teach him, taught him something. 
when dad would go to the beach wouldn't complain about the sand and the salt in the air. No, he loved just the fact that there were people there and they were together and they were enjoying life and the creation of God was all around us. When when dad would go to Disney World or some amazing place like that, he other people might end up seeing all the dark spiritual forces and the commercialism and, and the greed and all that around. Dad he didn't see any of that. He was so anchored into heaven. All he could see was fathers and mothers loving their kids kids and families enjoying being together and the, the value of, of dreaming and, and all things are possible. He just saw uh, joy everywhere. And here's the deal. Even if you're a spiritual person, if, if your heart is anchored constantly in fighting the devil, the devil shows up everywhere. God says, you will seek me and you will find me if you seek for me with all of your heart. And when our focus is on him, we don't have enough energy to give time to the devil. And pretty soon what happens? He's empowered by our agreement, so he is disempowered when we are out of alignment with him, out of alignment with his purposes, and give him no glory whatsoever. Keep your head anchored in heaven. Keep your heart anchored in the values of the kingdom, and out of the abundance of your mouth will flow words that don't feed the anxiety and fear in the world, but will actually feed faith. And so, Lord, I just thank you for this time today. Lord, I pray that your, your spirit, your joy, your peace would rest upon every radio listener today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can send for this broadcast by writing to Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. One more time, Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Listen to the broadcast again at VanderbushMinistries.com or go to iTunes or Spotify and listen to this as a podcast. Just type in Faith Mountain Ministries or Bill Vanderbush and this will pop up. You can listen to it as many times as you like. I'm so glad that you've taken the time to be with us. This is Bill Vanderbush from all of us here at Faith Mountain Ministries. Until next time, may the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.